welcome to Living Water Anglican Church in Albany, Western Australia. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. So folks, um, we're going to be uh, looking at the scriptures together. And so I encourage you just to, um, if you have a Bible near you or uh, have one open, you can open up to that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 passage in the New Testament. Others, you can just look at me uh, and listen to what I'm saying. I'll be directing um, as we go through. I wonder this morning, who among us are beach people? Because I think there's actually a real distinction in, in, in general population between beach people and non-beach people. Is that fair? There's diff, that is so real. Some people love the beach, right? Can't get enough of the sand, the wind, the dried salt and the skin, the smell of sun cream, the burning eyes as the cream runs in. It's beautiful, right? And on this question, Heidi and I couldn't be more different. I love the beach. Very happy to be creamed up, salted everywhere. Love it. Heidi hates it. Which is why it's quite ironic that when Heidi and I first met and started getting to know each other, we were at the beach. I don't think either of us actually really noticed at the time. See, I think it's true to say that love truly does change things. It changes us. Things that used to matter don't quite matter as much anymore. And we had fallen in love, and my life was never the same again. The old life had gone, a new life had begun. Relationships are really exciting. But the most exciting relationship of all is a relationship with God. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians in Corinth, says this, Those who become Christians become new persons. They're not the same anymore. For the old life is gone, a new life has begun. He says those who become Christians. Well, what does that mean? What does it, the word Christian mean? The word Christian can have quite negative connotations for some people. But for others, it can be quite a positive word. People sometimes think, well, Christian, that means being a nice person, right? But does it really? There are many atheists who are extremely nice people, and they wouldn't want to be known as Christian because they're not. So what is a Christian? Well, the word Christian is two words. It's Christian, Christian, someone who follows Jesus, someone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, how that happens varies enormously. For some people, uh, like for me, there's a very definite moment. I can pin it down to just before I turned 21 in those weeks before then. Before that, I wasn't a Christian, didn't grow up in a Christian home at all, I had begun calling myself an atheist, and then I became a Christian, and I've been a Christian ever since. For other people, their journeys are a little bit different, as you even heard now with Aaron and Andrea. For some people, it's a number of moments that kind of cumulatively increase over time. For others, they might say something like, well, I've always been a Christian. I don't know a time when I didn't know God, and I'm still a Christian today. I hope my children might have that kind of testimony. Other people might say, well, I think at one point I wasn't a Christian, but I can't quite remember when it happened, but I know I'm a Christian now. C.S. Lewis, the great British literature professor, used this analogy. He says, if you're on a train from Paris to Berlin, some people know the exact moment that they crossed the border. Other people might have been asleep at the time. But what matters is that you know that you're in Berlin. And what matters is that you know that you're a Christian now. 
And then what the New Testament says is that we can know. We can know faith. We can know that we're a Christian, whether we can remember exactly when this happened or not. John puts it like this in his gospel. He says, To all who received him, that's to all who received Jesus, to those who believed, in other words, to those who had faith in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What John is describing is that close, intimate relationship, like a child and a parent. In other places in the Bible, it's talked about like a lover or like a friend. And sometimes even the analogy of a husband and a wife is used to describe the relationship that God desires to have with us, that kind of intimacy. Now, if you're married, you know that you're married, right? If you're a Christian, you can know that you're a Christian. God wants us to know. In 1 John chapter 5, John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. But how can we know? What is this faith, this confidence, this assurance based on? Well, it's based on what we could call a three-legged stool. And each of these legs is essential when it comes to a real growing faith. So let's look at those three points. The first one is, the first leg is the Word of God. The Word of God is based on facts and not feelings, because our feelings can go up and down, but the facts remain the facts. And so using this analogy of marriage, if you ask me, how do I know I'm married? I can point you to this. This is our marriage certificate. This is a document that is evidence that Heidi and I are in fact married. Now, if you ask me how I know I'm a Christian, I would also point to a document. I would point to the Word of God. Sometimes people say, you know, well, that's fine for you because you have faith, you're lucky, but I don't have faith, as if, you know, somehow you either have it or you don't, and there's nothing you can do about it. But it's not like that. That's not true. In the book of Romans, Paul the Apostle writes this, Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. Now maybe this is something you've already experienced. Maybe you've heard something about God and Jesus and you might think, well, perhaps I'm beginning to have a little bit of faith. Another way that you can develop faith is by reading the Bible for yourself, reading perhaps one of the Gospels. That's what happened to me. That's what I did. I started reading the Bible. I started in the beginning, in the book of Genesis. It was quite interesting to start, but then after kind of chapter 10 or 11 or whatever it was, I got lost and also kind of got lost interest. So I thought, well, I'll read the last book of the Bible because, you know, that's about the end of the world. So that's important. You need to know about that, right? But that was even worse. Dragons and beasts and weird book. Didn't understand a thing. So then I started reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus was fascinating. And then I had made my way into the New Testament and I got to a, the book called Romans that was written by the Apostle Paul. And I didn't have any faith before I started reading the Bible. I started calling myself an atheist. But by the time I'd come to the end of the book of Romans, I had experienced faith. I knew that God was real. Reading the Bible is a way that we can interact with God. God speaks through the Bible. Faith can grow when we read the Bible. 
And you can also begin to take the Word of God and start to put it into practice. I'll give you an example. There's a verse which comes, a promise, which comes towards the end of the New Testament. It's a very famous verse in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus says this. He says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, Holman Hunt, an artist, illustrated this verse with a painting back in 1854. It hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral, and it's called The Light of the World. Now, I'm not sure you can see it very well, but that's the painting. And this is what this verse is saying. Imagine that your life is like a house, and Jesus is knocking at the door of your life, and he's saying, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. I'd like to come into your life, into the house of your life. I want to come in and eat with you. Now, eating together is a sign of friendship. And effectively, Jesus is saying, I want to be your friend. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to be a friend of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, here I am. I'm standing at the door of your life. I would love to come in and eat with you, to be a friend of you. And if you look at the painting, you'll see that the door is kind of overgrown with thorns and thistles and bushes all around it. It's like the person's never opened the door before. And Jesus is knocking. Now, when Holman Hunt painted this painting, people said, that's a great painting. But someone said to him, look, you've actually made a mistake. Do you realize you've made a mistake? And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, look at the door. There's no handle. And Holman Hunt said, no, no, no. That's not a mistake. There is a handle, but the handle is on the inside. It's very deliberate. In other words, Jesus is not going to force his way into your life. Jesus doesn't treat you with that kind of disrespect. He stands at the door and he knocks. And he leaves it up to you and to me to decide whether to invite him into our lives. But his promise is this. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Not I might come in, not I'll think about it. You can be sure that if you invite him in, he will always be with you. He'll never leave you. And he says this relationship is not just for now, but for eternity. This is not just wishful thinking, because Jesus is alive. The resurrection of Jesus, attested to by the eyewitnesses, recorded for us in the New Testament, claims that Jesus is alive. He can be in a relationship with us now. And that relationship goes beyond this life and into eternity. And so that's the first leg of the tripod. It is the word of God, the promise concerning Jesus. The second leg of the tripod is the work of Jesus. The fact that it is done. Jesus has done done everything necessary for our faith in him to become real and to grow. It's not what he has still to do. It's not what we must do. It's done by him. Again, if you ask me, you know, how do I know that I'm married? I'll point to the marriage certificate. I could also point to an event that took place in Peter Maritzburg on the 17th of January, 1998, when our wedding took place. So there it is. We were children. (laughs) 
So there is a document and there is an event in history. There were many witnesses there that day who saw the oaths and the promises we made and shared in the celebration. And if you ask me, how do I know I'm a Christian? I can point to a document, the Word of God. And I can point to an event in history to which there were also many witnesses. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Some people say, well, I don't think I could be a Christian because I'm kind of not good enough. And if I was going to be a Christian, there are lots of things in my life I just kind of need to sort out and clean up first, need to change. But that's not how it works. No, no, no. You come exactly as you are. It's not about what you do or what you can achieve. It's about what's been done for you by Jesus on the cross. It's about the realization of that reality and the acceptance of that truth. You receive what he has done and you you receive it as a gift, the forgiveness that he brings. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I don't know what you feel when you hear the expression free gift, but if you're anything like me, I'm really cynical about free gifts, right? There was a time, not so much anymore, but when you used to get in the mail these letters, these envelopes that were kind of personally addressed to you, right? And it was quite, oh my word, these people know me. They don't really. It was personally addressed to you with this bold declaration, you know, Shane, you're a winner. You've won $100,000, right? And then, or a car or something. And then when you open up and you keep reading, what you actually discover is that you haven't won $100,000 or a car. What you've won is to be chosen to receive this letter to tell you about something that you could win, right? That's what you realize as you read it. Things have changed a little bit now. They don't do that so much anymore. Now they're much more honest about things. They just lie to you and deceive you on a text, you know, and send you spam messages and things like that. But we're very suspicious about this kind of free gift stuff. And we think, you know, God is offering this free gift. There must be a catch. There isn't a catch. It is free. But it's not cheap. It cost Jesus his life. He died for you and he died for me so that we could be forgiven and receive this gift of eternal life, this gift of a relationship with him. Our Bible reading earlier puts it very succinctly. It says, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And although sinless, he has taken upon himself not only the world's sin, all of our sin, but also the full judgment that it deserved. He satisfied it, he paid the penalty. He died. But because he was innocent, death couldn't hold him. And he has risen into new and eternal life. And God calls on us to receive Jesus, to receive forgiveness, to bind ourselves to him. That's what faith is, to follow him into everlasting life. And we receive this gift through repentance and faith. Repentance sounds like a really heavy word, but all it really means is turning away from a life without God. It means changing our mind and saying, actually, living without God is crazy. It's insane. It doesn't make sense. 
It leads to chaos, and ultimately, it doesn't do anybody any good. It's about realizing that God loves us, that God never asks us to give up anything that is good for us. He calls on us to let go, to turn away from those things that harm us. That's repentance. And then faith. Faith is really just trust. That's what it means. And everyone is exercising different kinds of faith all the time. You're exercising faith right now by sitting on these chairs. You might say, well, that's not really faith. It is faith. You don't know that the chair will hold you up. You might say, but it held me up last week. Well, that's evidence, but that's not absolute certainty that it's going to hold you up right now, right? You don't have absolute certainty it's going to hold you up in five seconds' time either. You're doing it by faith. You didn't take the chair apart, grind it down to see what the molecular components were and work out the tensile strength of that particular chair. No, you didn't, right? You had good evidence to put your faith in that chair. And you plonked your bottom on it. That's what faith is. When I was an atheist, I was exercising faith in the fact that I believed there was no God. That was an act of faith. I can't prove it. But I based my life on it as an act of faith. Now I base my life on, on faith in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I put my trust in him. That's the second leg of the tripod. The work of of Jesus. Firstly, the word of God. Secondly, the work of Jesus. And then thirdly, finally, the witness of the Holy Spirit. If you ask me how I know I'm married, I'll point to the marriage certificate, to an event that took place to which there were many witnesses on that day. But I can also point thirdly and finally to 26 years of marriage now and the experience of that. I know this person, Heidi. And if you ask me how I know I'm a Christian, I'll point to the Word of God, can point to the event of Jesus' death and resurrection to which there were many eyewitnesses, but I can also now point to 27 years of experience of a relationship with Him. And in that verse we looked at in Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus is knocking at the door of our lives, He says, if anyone opens the door, I will come in. Jesus comes into our lives by his spirit. It's the spirit of Jesus who comes to live within you and within me. And Jesus says about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You can't see the wind. No one's seen wind, right? But we know it's true and we know it's real. We believe it exists. And mainly because we can see the impact of the wind. We can see what happens to leaves. We can see the power of the wind. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people say, I don't think I'm a Christian. I haven't had any sort of really dramatic experience. They're sort of expecting that they've got to see something, like you know, that Jesus has got to appear in their bedroom and say, here I am, something like that. But it's not like that. You can't see the Holy Spirit but you can see his impact and you can see the impact, for example, on your own life and perhaps also on the lives of other people. Maybe there's someone here today and you say, the reason I'm here is because I've seen the impact on a friend's life or a member of my family's life. See, without realizing it, you were observing the wind. You were seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe even in your own life, you're beginning to see a change. Maybe something's happened to you over the last few weeks or months or perhaps even years. One or two of you may have be able to say that this is happening, that there's beginning to be a change in my life. How do we change? 
Well, Paul says in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the impact, the work, the things we see of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the kinds of ways that the Spirit changes us. Being a Christian doesn't make us better than anybody else, but hopefully it makes us better than we were before. I was just speaking to someone just, just this last week on Friday. He's not a Christian, young guy, he's 20, but his sister, he says, has just become full-on Christian in over East. And he says, I can just see such a peace in her. He says to me, I'm, I'm quoting this now, maybe the whole Christian thing is there was another word there. I'm just going to use the word nonsense. I hadn't disclosed yet that I was a Christian or a minister. Just saying. Maybe the whole Christian thing is nonsense, but it's something to build your life on. It seems to be able to give people peace. You see, what's, what's happened to him? He's seen the impact of the wind. He's seen the Holy Spirit's work, the fruit. For me, one of my first experiences of becoming a Christian was how the Holy Spirit just gave me such a hunger to pray and to grow in knowing God and to help other people to get to know God as I had. He also changed how I started to see other people. I started to care for people. I know that might sound weird because most of, you know, many people grow up in, in homes where caring for people and that kind of thing is a, it happens a lot. It wasn't a big thing in my, in my childhood. So becoming a Christian, beginning to become aware of people, finding myself being filled with love for people, interested in people who I didn't know before, was a new experience. The wind of the Spirit began to change my life. And so the fruit of the Spirit starts to become evident. The Spirit also brings assurance to our hearts. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this. He says that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, it's like this internal conversation going on. When Jesus comes into our life by his Spirit, he brings that fruit, love, joy, peace, patience. And secondly, the Spirit starts to speak to our own spirits that we actually belong to God. It's like a full circle. So knowledge about God comes to us. We hear it. The Holy Spirit takes that knowledge, makes it real to our hearts. We believe. This is faith. And then as we continue in faith, he testifies to our own hearts that we actually belong to God, that God knows us, that God loves us. And so the Spirit is, brings that to bear. He brings us assurance. And finally, He pours the love of God into our hearts. Romans chapter 5, Paul says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. You know, when our kids were little, it wasn't long after that photo when Heidi uh, felt, you don't fall pregnant anymore, hey, you become pregnant? We became pregnant? I don't know what the, what's the new language. Uh, it wasn't long after that uh, when we were pregnant. And, um, <laughs> and within, I think, five or six years, we had three kids. Um, and like all, I can remember when they were little. You can remember when perhaps your own kids or grandkids or uh, nieces or nephews, you know, when they're two and three years old, right? They are so precious. And what do they do when they want to be hugged? Perhaps they're feeling a little scared or they just need some attention or affirmation. I remember our kids always did the same thing, hands up like this, right? And it was, uppy, <laughs> uppy mama, uppy dada. That's what it was, right? And you're obligated. You're not going to say no to that, right? You bundle them up and it is just beautiful. I'm longing for grandchildren, just saying. 
And folks, that is a picture of what God wants to do for us. He wants to pick us up and hold us. To know that you're loved. To know that you're held. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to have the Spirit of God living within you. That's what it means to be living in a relationship with God. So how can I have faith? The Word of God, God's promises, the work of Jesus, He has opened a way for us to be reconciled to God, and the witness of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' presence in our hearts and lives. Let's just take a moment now. Let's just be quiet for a moment. And perhaps if you'd like to, I want to give you an opportunity perhaps to pray. I know you may not be ready for this, but maybe there's one or two who would like to pray. And I want to give you this opportunity to open that door to Jesus this morning. Here's a prayer you can just follow along with me if you'd like. Perhaps you've been a Christian for many years. You might want to join yourself to this prayer as well. Maybe the aspects of your life where you've been saying, Lord Jesus, I've been kind of holding it arm's length. I need you to come in fully. I need you to come and renew your friendship with me. Just a prayer thanking Jesus for what he's done on the cross, inviting him to come into our lives by his spirit. So let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you love me so much. I want to turn away from everything that I know is wrong, everything that I know actually injures me and others. Thank you that you died so that I can be forgiven. I put my trust in you and in what you did on the cross. And just like that verse, just like that picture, I want to open the door of my heart to you, invite you to come into my life by your Spirit and to be with me forever. Amen. Amen.